Welcome to the podcast for Ibrahim Islamic Center. Our center is located in Houston, Texas. Ibrahim Islamic Center provides the space to connect people through fellowship, learning, spiritual cultivation, rooted in love and service. This is an essential value and a thread that runs throughout all of our programming and talks. My name is Khalis Rashad. I am the Imam and Director of the Center. To learn more, please visit us online at IbrahimCenter.org. And to donate, you can visit IbrahimCenter.org forward slash give. I pray that you find value in this talk or presentation to follow. And please keep us in your prayers. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to uh, Inman Gallery Wednesday night class. Uh, Today, um, what we will have is a conversation uh, between the artists uh, and gratefully a community member of Ibrahim Islamic Center, Jamal Cyrus, uh, and myself. As you may know, uh, Ibrahim Islamic Center, we consider art to be uh, vital to our core in terms of who we are. Uh, many of our founding members are uh, artists, and art is uh, art is uh, multifaceted. It's not necessarily only the one who paints. However, art shows up in your life. Um, I personally believe that there is a vital connection or intersection uh, between art and spirituality, and uh, if we uh, are people whom art no longer plays an important part in our lives, uh, that could very well be an issue or a challenge with your uh, spirituality. Uh, Islamic art, and I put that in quotations, and that's part of our conversation, is actually what is Islamic art? Um, but the point is, uh, when we think about beauty, goodness, and excellence, uh, you know, art, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, really helps to pull that out of the individual. And we know that uh, we've been through, some of us may have been through some uh, paradigms or interpretations of Islam that have sought to make art uh, haram, uh, forbidden, or um, the only art that was allowed or permissible uh, were these very, very narrow portrayals of art. And in other words, if it wasn't calligraphy or if it wasn't just a silhouette of something, um, not only was it not considered, uh, not only was it not considered art, but it was just simply impermissible uh, within our faith. Uh, so again, we're grateful. I'd like to thank uh, Inman Gallery, as well as uh, Jamal Cyrus for uh, hosting us here. And I'd like to just start and open up uh, with uh, Jamal, uh, his biography. Um, so I'm a little conflicted here. It's like, should I read the biography that is on Ibrahim Center's uh, page? <laughs> or should I read the, the, the longer uh, more professional biography. So um, I'd say just Google Jamal Cyrus and uh, some very, very good stuff would come up. Uh, and I am, uh, I'm personally uh, proud and honored and all the stuff that comes with that, uh, that he's a part of our community and he's also a personal and good friend. So uh, we're grateful. 
uh, for the work that you've done in this uh, space of art and creativity over the years. Uh, so I'll, I'll read the bio from uh, IbrahimCenter.org, our webpage. Uh, Jamal Cyrus is a visual artist who lives and works in Houston. As a young man, he was reared in the creative values of Houston's historic Third Ward. These values include, but, not, but are not limited to, the use of art and creativity as a community organizing, educational, spiritual, political, and economic tool. His current body of work employs revisionist approaches to American history, particularly within the areas of black political movement, music, and popular culture. His work has, has been shown in local and national venues, such as the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, Project Row Houses, Studio Museum of Harlem, and MCA Chicago. So um, what we'll do is uh, we, uh, we have some questions to just kind of get the conversation started. And then there'll be a point in time in the conversation where uh, we'd, we'd, we'd ask that if you have questions, uh, please, uh, please ask them. And I think uh, with the first question, we'll also just give you an opportunity to give us an introduction uh, of yourself and of your work. And um, so that, that, that first question is, who is Jamal Cyrus and how did you get started in art? Uh, so how did I get started in art? Um, I would say I, I grew up uh, in a very creative environment. Um, my mother was a, a poet as well as a vocalist. Um, my uncle is a professional musician. Um, my grandmother and my aunt, like you said, like art doesn't really have to be only, it doesn't only apply to people who paint or draw or sculpt or whatever. It's, it's, it's a sensibility that you, that you use to, to do anything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but my, my aunt and my grandmother were, were artists in the field of, of cooking and, and baking. Um, and so, you know, I really feel like I, I just kind of grew up in, in a, a really um, fertile environment in regards to creativity. And I got to see people, um, in terms of what you were saying about Isan, right, like people who, you know, kind of do things to try to, um, to try to put their best foot forward. One um, didn't always do do it for money, right? Sometimes did it for, you know, just to show love or just to kind of like, um, kind of um, contribute to to the community or contribute to society, mm -hmm. right? So that's that's the kind, you know, and, I, and that's so that's the earliest um, kind of creative influences I had. Um, as I went to high school. Um, I first went to Dulles High School for one year and then switched to High School Performing Visual Arts um, in which I was uh, exposed to a lot of different um, visual mediums, you know, or you know, mediums within the visual arts. And by the time I was 17, I wasn't really interested too much in, uh, in terms of my academics, but I did enough to keep me into that school because it had been such a um, like, you know, almost transformative kind of influence in my life. Um, but I was really into the camera, mm. right? Um, I, I started off wanting to be a photographer and like that I think is what got me started in the field of visual arts and kind of training my eye and, and other creative sensibilities. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when you think about today so for example I mean you spoke about uh, art as a well let me ask this question um, there's this conflict uh, with artists you know you talked when you spoke about uh, art and money and yeah, yeah. Uh, what I kind of saw coming through there is uh, there is this sense amongst artists uh, some artists maybe even many artists that uh, if they are simply doing art for money, mm -hmm. then it could possibly block the, uh, the inspiration mm -hmm. or the, yeah. the, the act of service uh, that could possibly come through with art or even make you, and even enhance your art. And one could see that 
in however you see your art, even if you're, if you're just going to work and if it's only about the money, yeah. then that could actually block what, you know, the inspiration, the blessings, the, the natural state of fitra that could come out in your work or in your cooking or in your cleaning mm -hmm. or however it is or in the way you dress or however it is. Can you speak to that? Mm -hmm. So there, there, there are a couple of, uh, I think, different ways to approach it. Like on, on one way, from one side, money is good for your work because it allows you to have more time mm -hmm. <clears throat> to focus on whatever you're doing, um, dedicate more of yourself to it. Um, and money, at least within the visual arts, also allows you to, uh, to basically like create more refined uh, things, like artworks, basically, you know. To scale things up or to use materials that you may not have had access to before or processes or, you know, all this. It, it, it has a lot of upside in terms of getting money. Um, mm -hmm. But there is the, uh, the drawback too that, um, you may slip into the uh, into the role of becoming a manufacturer, right, and not necessarily an artist, mm -hmm. right. And you can be a manufacturer and have Isan or try and still have that, but I think it becomes a lot more difficult to have that high level of quality if you're trying to meet a quota or you're trying to push out a certain number of works by the by the end of the month or what have you. So that's, that, um, that is something that's actually, I'm, I'm kind of being faced with now a little bit, but like, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just asking for guidance in terms of picking the right, uh, the right direction to go with it. Great, great. Yeah. Good point. Uh, what is the message in your art? What, what inspires it? What inspires it? Uh, so I grew up in, in, in the South, um, and, Houston, Texas specifically, as you were saying. And this was was a culturally a very rich area, mm -hmm. but there were certain um, histories and certain ideas in regards to black culture that, that I didn't get, um, my parents didn't expose me to, and members of my immediate community didn't expose me to either, right? Mm -hmm. But when, um, when hip hop started kind of really evolving, particularly like in the late 80s, and taking on the kind of political and educational dimension, like that's when I started to get all of this this information um, about some of the kind of the more radical aspects of, you know, American politics and black black American politics. Um, and so that kind of really set me on, as well as a, a group of people who are around me that really kind of set us on this path of trying to find out more. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of quest for uh, for understanding, for documenting history, for storytelling, um, that just kind of ended up in my work as as an artist. Um, when my my when I got out of high school, um, I spent a little bit of time in Austin, but really the most formative um, period of time after um, after high school was at TSU, mm -hmm. right? And so we, although John Biggers was no longer in the TSU art department, we really got to see well, from people who had studied with him, what his process was. And it was always this research process. And a lot of us younger students um, who were in the department at that time took that upon us and, and kind of applied that to our own work. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe just kind of, uh, kind of um, took the process, but, but kind of put it in, brought it out or uh, uh, produced, produced different things with it or, or didn't kind of, um, translate in the same way that he did, mm -hmm. you know, like maybe in ways that were, were you know, dealt with popular culture and, or ways that, you know, um, dealt with, with not necessarily painting and drawing, but maybe found objects or comics or something like that. I see. Yeah. Yeah, for, for me, when I uh, think about your art, uh, you know, I see, I see a lot, and, and of course I see this undertone of the black American experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, you know, you see, you know, West Africa, you see uh, South African influences, you see, uh, you know, Malcolm X, the Black Panther Party, you see jazz, you see, mm -hmm. and all of this, it's a very, very uh, unique uh, mix in terms of how you approach your art. Mm -hmm. yeah. So these are all things that the one interests me. Um, I, I, that's another thing that, um, I feel that artists have to 
really do in order to con continue pushing envelope is, is to, or in order to be continue being inspired is to make work with, which make your work about things which interest you, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so that's, those are the things which interest me. And sometimes they deal with history or sometimes like with jazz music, it deals with like black style, you know, and, um, but I take, try to take elements from music and then bring it into my, into the visual art, kind of translate into visual art in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. um, as well as, uh, you know, folk art, like quilt making, um, textiles or, or something that's really um, uh, been a source of inspiration for me lately as well. Right. Yeah. And when I see the different styles or the different types uh, of art that you produce, uh, every artist can't do that. I mean, some are just painters. Mm -hmm. uh, you're a sculptor, you're a quilt maker, uh, you know. No, I'm not quilt you, maker. You, okay, you, I mean, but, but you know, so, so, so I, I mean, just, just looking at the differences in terms of the styles that I, I see here, I mean, how did you, I mean, how, how, you know, what, 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 what uh, you know, how did you learn to do these uh, different styles? Different and, things. And, um, uh, so I was lucky in the end in that I had a, a broad range of kind of like art educational experiences as I was coming through. As I said, I started off as a photographer. When I went to TSU, I, I started painting and drawing. Um, from TSU, I also went to UH, which is where I, I graduated from, from my undergrad, mm -hmm. um, which I went and did digital imagery, um, well, you know, um, photography, digital media. And then when I went to graduate school, I did sculpture, right? So I just kind of had all these different uh, kind of uh, mediums that I would pull from with my, with my work, right? Um, it's, it's unfortunate because you never really get to be necessarily a master of, of anything, but you, you do like, you know, have a, a lot of options in terms of the, uh, you know, manifesting your ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, your professor, John Biggers. For those who are not aware of who he is, can you explain? Mm -hmm. So John Biggers, uh, he was born in North Carolina, um, comes to, uh, to Houston in, oh man, late 30s, uh, establishes the, the art department as what, what is then Texas Southern University for Negroes. Um, has uh, an extreme influence on his students because of his kind of teaching methods, but but really um, believed in in using um, art as a as an educational tool within this community. Um, he was one of the first um, African American artists to travel to Africa, one of the first African American visual artists to travel to Africa, and that really had a a heavy effect on him. And when he came back to the to the U.S. really saw it as his mission to try to um, instill in his students some of the lessons which he had learned on that trip. Mm. Yeah, and, and so uh, really does set the tone for, for Houston um, because of his teaching and because of, I think, the, again, Isan and kind of sincerity of what he was doing um, really in, influences generations of artists who come after him, whether, whether they paint or draw or not. So, for instance, uh, Project Row Houses is, is a definitely uh, um, an offshoot of the, the, the John Biggers legacy as well. And there, there are other examples. Also. I see. I see. Um, you spoke about Africa. Uh, you, you recently mm -hmm. uh, did some travels to Africa, and I believe it was Spain as well. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us about that and, and, and what, um, what, what, what led you there and what came out of, out of that, that, that trip? Okay, so what led me there, um, so a lot of my work, you know, deals with, with this idea, well, dealt with this idea of, of, uh, of the African diaspora and, and how attitudes towards creativity change as they left Africa, you know, and ended up in Europe or ended up in South America, the Caribbean or the, the North America. And so that would, that's what I was trying to uh, get a, a glimpse of when I was out there. How, does, how did migration change these ideas about creativity? Um, in hopes that I could then take those 
kind of take those ideas and then to apply them to my work in, in a bunch of different mediums, mm -hmm. right? So that's, you know, that's what I was looking for. Uh, primarily, I, choose, I chose a lot of um, cities that had really strong musical um, kind of histories because that's where you can, that's where it really becomes, I think, obvious in terms of like the clashing of cultures and kind of how different cultures overlap and what the, what's produced from that that uh, uh, that mixture. Um, so those are some of the things I learned, and 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 I'm really still. This is the first exhibition since I got back from from the trip, um, and so I think this show is is. Uh, sets me on the path of dealing with some of the things I learned, but I think at the same time, I'll be chewing on that for, for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So how did you, as an artist, um, how did you make it through? How did you survive the periods as that a Muslim? you spoke about? <laughs> yes, as a Muslim, that art is haram, and then you have these music tone undertones. Of yeah. Music is haram. Yeah. Right. How did you make it through that? How did you, did you just simply ignore it? Did you debate with them? Did you dialogue with them? Um, would, did you have teachers that kind of led you in a different direction um, in terms of uh, your, your, your Islamic uh, uh, pedagogy? How yeah. did you? Yeah. I, I, I luckily ended up in, uh, in good hands and you know different times within my within my uh, my education or within my growth mm -hmm. right um, we definitely dealt with the thing about you know drawing um, things which have a spirit right like getting very technical right like and you know trees also have a spirit no like we <laughs> we we definitely had to deal with that uh, right. but luckily like we, we were often um, around creative people who who were older than us and who also kind of went through um, a similar uh, similar process, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and uh, so that was just that that was just fortunate. And and the thing is that those people still, you know, held on to their Islam very, you know, were you know exemplary Muslims in many ways, you know, but still had these other things which which um, interested them that we. You know that that were about creativity and, and art making, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. Now th there's this uh, popular story about one of the teachers in our tradition, <clears throat> in contemporary, like mm -hmm. in, in our times. Uh, you know, there was this conference, and someone was going on about, you know, music is haram, and 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 really, really beating down on the Muslims about how, and this is a scholar. Uh, and uh, he went home and um, put on John Coltrane mm -hmm. <laughs> right? yeah. after leaving this 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 conference, right? Yeah. And so to, to to your point, it's good to have uh, people who are older than us, wiser than us, uh, who have, for lack of a term, been there and done that, but also was uh, truly educated in the in the in our tradition yeah uh, and and basically teach us that Islam is not uh, simply just a narrow path it's also a wide road yeah I mean they're definitely I mean if you look at my work my work is is fairly abstract right mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily do certain things mm -hmm. right um, I engage with photography mm -hmm. right or I engage with, with with found objects that other people have created or I, you know or um, so I I do try to keep a balance I basically try to try to um, do things that I feel comfortable doing with with some awareness of, of the sherry as well like yes yeah definitely yeah. definitely good good yeah. uh, I only have two more questions for you before we open it up to the audience um, there's a debate about what is what is Islamic art. Uh, do you have any thoughts? You know, some some argue that all art, if it comes from a place of beauty and goodness, is it's Islamic. Islamic. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, though, there are those who argue that uh, no, it had have to be. It have to have. It have to specifically have, you know, Islamic undertones to it. Mm -hmm. Maybe Arabic calligraphy or whatever to be considered uh, Islamic art. Thus, receive the barakah from you know doing that mm -hmm. so uh well i know you know islamically like there there are different formats that that we we talk about in reference to islamic art um as you mentioned calligraphy um 
you know, um, architecture. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's certain kind of, and then there's also certain stylistic elements as well. Um, but I, I've, I've, I think with this exhibition, I've tried to make, bring more Islamic undertones into my work. Mm -hmm. um, or try to, try to bring that more into my work from, from a way um, that makes sense for me to deal with it. Um, and this partially, you know, has to do with one, like when, when I was out doing, and doing the travel, like a lot of the places that I went to, um, they often had, uh, so for instance, when I was in Brazil, mm -hmm. okay, um, people have known this, this for a while about um, the, the, um, the, the part that, that Muslims had played in terms of revolt and kind of, Mm -hmm. um, anti-slavery revolts within within Brazil mm -hmm. um, but when I was there I, I also learned other things in terms of how they affected the, the culture in terms of um, through they were basically craftsmen right um, and some of the things that they would do and when they would go and, and build a, um, a church or something like this or the effect that they also had on on uh, instrument production like one of the uh, one of the stories that I heard is that uh, some of the drums which come out of Brazil were, were used, were taken from um, these Muslim barrel makers, right? Because they didn't have the same kind of uh, trees that existed in, in different places in West Africa. So they instead, they, they kind of um, transformed this, this, this way of making barrels and, and used that in order to to, to make these drums, um, as well as 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 well as other things in terms of collectivity and like how they organized themselves, um, and they were really a small period, mm -hmm. kind of percentage of, of, of the population in Bahia. Um, when I was in Haiti, I also learned you know um, about uh, Islamic contributions to the the Haitian Revolution. Um, some people say that one of the gentlemen who starts the, the Haitian Revolution, which, which lasts, I believe, like 11 years, um, did it on the day of uh, Eid al-Adha, right? Mm -hmm. And it's part of the, the, the sacrificing of, of the ram, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, all these things, you know, just, just kept popping up. And so I, I wanted to, to try to make that history, which is an under-recognized history within you probably say within the African diaspora, but especially within, within, within the United States, right? And, and kind of bring that, bring that out um, and use that in my work. So, you know, uh, one of the, the parts about my, um, my making the artwork is that I often have to, have to tell the, the backstory of it, mm -hmm. right? And these are ways that I can share these things with people and kind of, um, yeah, and just help to bring awareness of this, this history. Mm -hmm. um, so this piece, which is behind me, um, people may not <laughs> consider that to be Islamic garb, but I, I really consider that to be uh, an example of my my approach to making a, a work of Islamic art. So let's 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 talk a bit about this piece here, right? Okay. okay. Um, so and, and I guess I, so th there are some who would say, uh, you know, art it should speak to, it should resonate in the heart, it should speak to the soul. Um, of the artist, but also the people who are viewing the art. Hence, mm -hmm. goodness, beauty, uh, and, 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 and ihsan, or excellence. Um, and then, of course, there, there, there are some that say that, you know, of course, art, art should also uh, critique you. Mm -hmm. Art should also make you feel uncomfortable and maybe even push you up against a wall to make you look at yourself, whatever injustices that are within yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, that you haven't realized. And so one may look at this piece and say, this is one of those pieces. <laughs> Can you explain okay. what, uh -huh. what this is? Yeah. Uh, so I, I struggle with the idea about beauty. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think my works are are beautiful in the, in the, in the, the typical use, sense of using that word. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, in music, for instance, when uh, if you think about black music and you think about the voice and like how the voice is 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 off is used not just for its beautiful 
not just for its harmonic capabilities, but also for, for times when it shrieks, right? Or mm -hmm. times it goes into a wail or a scream, right? And that's, those moments, those moments um, are expressive, right? Um, but they're not, they're not typically thought of as beautiful, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think like sometimes that's, that's what uh, I'm also going for in my work, um, as well as this, this idea about, um, about accumulation, like about, about time, uh, kind of uh, time unfolding in the work or getting, being, trying to pull the person into a work to where they can spend time with it because mm -hmm. um, they see that I've spent time with it. Um, as well as um, just trying to, uh, I think like basically when, when you, it, it, and perhaps this goes into uh, what you're, you're talking about in terms of the, the, the nature of the, the role of spirituality in art making, mm -hmm. right? Um, when you spend enough time with an artwork, there are certain, there are certain journeys that you go on with it. Mm. Just like when people will talk about um, uh, improvisation, sax, you know, and, and jazz music, whatever, like they talk about that as a journey, right? As a mm -hmm. story, right? I feel the same thing, kind of same process happens when you create a, a, a visual work of art, mm -hmm. right? There are certain things that, you know, the material or the information that you're dealing with is going to, to, um, to add to the discussion, right? You know what I'm saying? On its own, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so. Um, but, but this work really um, branches out of first me seeing these photographs of the Autobahn Ballroom, mm -hmm. um, particularly the stage that had these strong bent wood chairs kind of like all around mm -hmm. it. Um, so I started to collect those. It probably took me about three years to just like naturally, just organically kind of get enough to where I thought I could make a piece from it. Um, when I had the chairs um, in the studio, um, I was just kind of playing around with different things of what they could be. Um, you know, uh, first it was like maybe cutting out the seed and having something which was coming down from the bottom. And then maybe it was kind of taking them apart and making something new out of them. But, but one day I just had the idea to make a, um, a men bar for the, for the, for the Audubon ballroom, mm -hmm. right? Something which was, um, you know, there's not necessarily like a long history of Islamic art in America, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, why can't it be influenced by, you know, contemporary approaches to art, art making, like found objects and stuff. So mm -hmm. I decided to take these already made chairs and then to make this kind of men bar shape out of them, like step shape out of them. Mm -hmm. um, once that had been completed and all of the chairs were together, it was calling for another element. Um, because as I, I started to, to do more research about the, 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 um, the assassination of Malcolm X, one of them was uh, I got an autopsy report, which I believe, um, if I remember correct, stated that there were 14 bullets that were in the body, mm -hmm. right? It had these kind of, so I wanted to use that in some kind of way, as well as um, the story um, about the three gentlemen who, you know, who were in the, were in the, the audience and, and opened, fired on, opened fire on him. Um, and then lastly, um, as I started doing that, uh, a friend of mine told me the story, whether it's, it's true or not, I don't, I don't, I'm okay with that. Um, that before they opened fire on them, Malcolm smiled at them, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the piece is called Lights from the Garden. And the idea about the spiraling, you know, really, you know how they, they talk about like different hadiths are, are okay to transmit if they, um, they may be fabricated, but as long as they're in line with, with, the, with, the, with the principles. If they're, if would, they're, if they're, if they're weak. Uh, right, if they're you know, weak. Fabricated is, right, is, it's a, a different if they, if they, Right, if, they, if they're weak, and if you're using them for uh, moral uplifting, uh -huh. more, right? It's so pretty, yeah, mm -hmm. so within the, within the principles of Islamic thought. So the, the thing about him smiling at them really was in, in line with ideas, well, with ideas about martyrdom, right, mm -hmm. and how people kind of face that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, so that caused me to uh, to not see the the rods 
only as trajectory rods, mm -hmm. right, that, that people use for ballistics and that kind of thing, but also to see them as potentially rays of light, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think like that, for me, like that, that hits on a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different stories and kind of that, that help us to understand who Malcolm was as well as our own tradition, mm -hmm. you know. And that's that's one thing I see in your pieces is that there are those who there there are some some pieces that are one could that are, that are kind of light on the heart and really mm -hmm. and then there are those who there are some pieces that you know are you know critique or can really push a person into and, and, and really make you have a dialogue and a conversation mm -hmm. about that particular piece. Last question. Mm -hmm. um, recently, uh, a piece of quote unquote artwork. Uh, sold for uh, $110,000. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a banana taped mm -hmm. to a wall. Yeah. Um, that's, that's Mukhtar's favorite artist. Yeah, it is. Is there, and then someone, and then there was another article, someone ate the banana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, is, there, is there a point where, uh, you know, quote-unquote, art gets into stupidity or, um, you know, is there, is there, you know, is this the difference between modern art, contemporary art, postmodern art? Um, yeah. You know, what, what are, your, what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, all those different histories, modern, postmodern, like, yes, that's, that's very true. And then the, um, the approaches change in all of those, mm -hmm. right? And contemporary art is now in such a, a place where it's basically wide open for anything to happen. Like, I don't really, I would, I don't really have to make any of this stuff in order for me to still be the author of it, mm -hmm. right? Like, I could have this person down the street who makes all my work, I pay them, and then they, they give it to me, and the, the artwork is cool with that, mm. you know? Um, and they know that, that's interesting. Yeah, but, but also, uh, and so people take advantage of that, you know, and then some people use that, you know, to, to make their work better. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, there are different approaches to, to handling that. But also, um, contemporary art is, is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Mm -hmm. And there are, there are a lot of games, and maybe this is what you were asking about the first time. Like, there are a lot of games that, that get played um, within the art market. Mm -hmm. um, and this just is for like the purpose stocks. of raising the, the value of the art? Right. Got you. Yeah. Okay. And that, that goes to serve the collectors and not necessarily the artists. Mm -hmm. Because like a, um, like a company, um, like people can put all this money in the company and then, you know, um, like I guess blow up the shares and then sell that and then pull mm -hmm. all their money back and the company is with, with nothing. They can do that with, with artists as well. I see. So that's the kind of a game that gets played. But then also art uh, and artists, if he has enough support, and the artists of the caliber that you're, that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So he's also the same artist who made a gold toilet, if people have heard about this, and it got stolen, I believe, in, in England. Mm -hmm. So he, he's into jokes and he's into these kind of things, but he also has enough of a structure behind him to where he could probably put together a pool of collectors to behind the scenes to purchase that banana for 120 or $150,000 and then like this whole story kind of goes throughout uh, social media and you know yeah I see yeah so it's just it's you know people can yeah. manipulate, manipulate it and, it, and there's not a lot of there there you know there are moral there there are, are um, people who have um, who criticize that and have moral issues with that but it's not like insider trading or anything you know it's gotcha. not it doesn't have it's not uh it's, it's not, not illegal monitored in the same way yeah yeah, yeah. gotcha gotcha uh let's take a few questions from uh, our audience okay yeah uh in your travels to africa you know and being a, a product of the west uh did you see a difference in art appreciation and art functionality as a part of society being different? 
So I would say yes. Though the two places that I went to when I was in Africa, you know, they're very different cultures. One was in Ghana, right, and then one is in South Africa. In Ghana, it's like all of the the art, uh, different disciplines. Whether you talked about uh, poetry or music or visual art or dance or like folklore, they were all tied together, right? So it was it was a it's a different kind of appreciation for it, I think, because it um, it just seemed to be on their every in a part of their everyday life, right? Um, and so, like for instance, I didn't I didn't go to any museums when I was in Ghana, right? Like I went to the uh, <laughs> the Palace of the Asantehine, um, but I and I went to some art schools, but but you know, like art was kind of like everywhere around me and I didn't yeah but the so yeah that's a different attitude and, and, and I think I saw like how I was I was really um, affected by how everything was 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 together like that one which kind of fed off you know fed on each other um, in South Africa I would I would say um, art was more like the way it exists in the African-American community here right music has a really important function um, and then, you know, for, for um, increasing our, our, our awareness of ourselves and, and um, kind of mobilizing us politically, the same way that we kind of use music here, the same thing I saw in, in South Africa. Um, so, and those are only two countries I went to. So I would say, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little well, different. I was looking in terms of, I'm sorry, one follow up, you know, when I was in Africa, I looked at art in a functionality when I was speaking to is that how in the culture of Africans, mm -hmm. art is not something displayed for mm -hmm. appreciation. Yeah. It's a part of the culture and expression of the people. Yeah. And art is intrinsic to their their culture to the extent that women beating cassava or beating a palm with the uh, the mortar and they they beat it and they throw it up in there and they clap their hand mm -hmm. and then they catch it then mm -hmm. they clap their hand and catch it and they make music with it yeah i mean when you listen to it it sounds like someone playing drums in a uh but they're beating cassava yeah and i saw uh a guy carve from a solid piece of log a chair and they, they have these chairs but it's it's kind of like the uh you know what we read the Quran on, mm -hmm. how it's called for one, it could fold. Mm -hmm. And then it lay out, and you can sit in, and this guy had one at the Karak, but it was made from one solid piece of wood. Mm -hmm. So take into consideration what you just said, that you can just go get somebody else stuff and, and, uh, and bring yeah. it in. So, I want to become an art lover. <laughs> That's the place to go. That's the place to go. That's definitely the place to go. New artists on the block. Yeah. Cut. <laughs> Yeah, like you're saying, like it was more part of what I saw was yeah, it was it was a part of the more part of the everyday fabric, right? But then you had people who, you know, a whole village that dedicates itself to to carving, or a whole village that dedicates itself to making kente cloth, and, you know. So it was just it wasn't like a uh, I'm in my studio down the street and and I don't really share this with anybody else, you know. It was it was, it was more of a communal kind of kind of thing, yeah. Sister Sakina. Okay, I have a question, but before I ask my question, just to speak to what you were saying, um, many times when you visit different museums and there's like an African art section in the mm -hmm. museum, you will see pieces um, in that section of the African art, which is um, considered to be art in the Western concept, but when you look at it, it has a function. Right. So it could be a headrest, or it could be a chair, or it could be something like that. Right. So I think. Basically, that's what you're saying. That right, you can be used for what um, in different cultures is not considered art. So, say it has some function, right? But then when yeah. you bring it to the West, so then right. it becomes <laughs> art. You, you put it on a pedestal, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it right. becomes yeah. art. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, my my uh, comment, and it's kind of a comment and a question, is that I think this is my second uh, showing of your art that mm -hmm. I have been privileged to view and also hear you talk about. 
And so what I have noticed is that when you uh, explain a piece of art, there's a lot of uh, personal um, interpretation that you allow the viewer and the listener to the interview to, to understand about the piece. Uh -huh. And so my point is this, that if I were to walk into any of your exhibits and there was no one here but myself, uh -huh. I may not get Correct. from the viewing what your explanation is. Right. Okay. And so my question to you is, as an artist, how, how, how do, how do, do you that? feel about that? Or what is your expectation from the viewer? Are you okay with the fact that when I look at this piece, I may not see a memoir yeah. until you explain it to me? Or maybe your title, yeah. um, I'm trying, because I, I use titles too, uh -huh. and I noticed that there are none here today. Yeah. So that when I look at this piece, I'm totally like in my own head, trying to figure out on my own. With right. sometimes I'll look at the title and try to say, okay, this is the title, this is the piece, and try to put it together and try to come up with what the artist is trying to mm -hmm. to show. So mm -hmm. can you speak to that? Yeah. So I mean, I think that that is something that I've been kind of dealing with for a long time, um, just because of the the, the places and in, in varied. Um, kind of sources that inspire a work for me, right? Um, and, and yeah, so I mean, that's something I've, I've learned to live with, uh, but at the same time, I, I try to, to think about an artwork in, in a couple of different parts. One is the, the, the aesthetic dimension of it, and then like what would also kind of help to birth the, the work, right? And I try to put enough of myself um, and maybe this is why I, you know, going on, going back about the thing of, of the touches, like trying to touch that work like as much as I can. Like, um, hopefully there there uh, there's something that's transferred in that to the to the viewer. But but I do think about like the aesthetic dimension of a work, and then I think about the conceptual part about the work, right? And I try to to um, to have the work. Hopefully um, the visual. The surface of it is intriguing enough to where it can it can keep you for a little while, you know. Um, and then give some hints with the title, yeah. So you're okay with the fact that the viewer may not always get. I'm okay with what that. Your, uh, yeah. What your intent was. Yeah. In the piece. Okay. Yeah. And because really, I think it's a, it's a good thing that it makes people use their. Yeah, brain. yeah, They're, yeah. You know, you just kind of figure out what it is. Oddly enough, the work, the work start again. Like the work starts with my own kind of self education, and then I, I share this. You know, I'm luckily like people are willing to look at, you know, to and to kind of support it. And so, um, but yeah, I'm okay with that. Because yeah, it creates a lot of intrigue in the artwork because you know, looking at this piece. It's, it's very intriguing. And yeah, it's like, yeah. I think there is. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something about mystery, yeah. right? Um, so I heard Billie Holiday said this one quote that if you can't be free, then be a mystery. Say that again. If you can't be free, be a mystery. Okay. That's what she said. And so, and who was Billie Holiday? Billie Holiday was a jazz vocalist. Um, but like, yeah. So I think that's that's part of the push and pull of the work. Mm -hmm. That don't don't. Try to give something, but don't give. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I, I think oftentimes the artist may or may not want to, you know, just be so in your face. This is what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you may want to, you know, create some freedom. Yeah. For the viewer. From the viewer. For fun, yeah. Do you find your own your yeah. own mm -hmm. image of the work? Okay, so let's take about uh, two to three more questions, Max, because we still want Jamal to give us a tour and we need to eat. Uh, yes, brother. Uh, this is more of a question on um, the diversification of your craft. Does, mm -hmm. that keep, it keeps it, does it keep it fun for you to create? And does it allow you to come up with more, like, um, more ideas on executing an idea? Because if you were just staying with one medium, mm -hmm. It's like, how do you execute this with a painting? Right, right, yeah. I mean, yeah, so that's, that's basically my approach that it gives me. So for me, um, the idea starts first. And then, like, I kind of try to find the appropriate, yeah. It would be best represented by. Yeah, 
you know, and sometimes that's like serendipitous or sometimes that's like more, I try to force that thing, but yeah, so it goes back, it goes back and forth. Yeah. Yes. Um, so have you ever felt limited in what you could do as an artist because of your faith and have you ever had to reconcile that because I do certain things I you know I do that Islamic traditionals work but I also do a lot of figurative work mm -hmm. which for a lot of people is controversial like right. a lot of Muslims look frown upon that and stuff yeah. um, so have you ever like how do you deal with that and are there things that you wouldn't do? Are there things that I wouldn't, yes, there are things that I wouldn't do, definitely. Um, but I think the, the thing about um, rules, like having a structure or having rules is like, you know, hopefully it, it allows you to find more creative solutions, you know, than what, than what people are already kind of making, right? So, I don't know, I mean, I think if somebody really as a visual artist, like if you, if you really engaged with, you know, like Sharia laws, you know, for or against representation, like you would you would have the ability of coming up with something really unique. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if it's as much of a hindrance as it depends how you see it. But I don't know if it's as much as a, of a hindrance as is like a, um, uh, something to push us forward a little bit more. And you know, to, to, to yeah. that point is, uh, you know, if we can come into the thick of art, right, uh, mm -hmm. which is why we have a thick, it, it gives us boundaries. And one could say perhaps this is why Islamic art became so profound. And I put Islamic art in quotations is because uh, we had these boundaries, had the boundaries yeah. and we were uh, forced um, to work within these within these boundaries, and you have to think outside of the the box and and really yeah. really come up with uh, beauty within these confines. And yes, you know, because and it's definitely something that, like, if you were to really kind of, I think, um, try to to pursue that path, it's definitely something that's going to be like different from what's what's what is happening in the West, mm -hmm. right? And, I, and so I, I I don't know. I think it it. it uh, it, it sets nice parameters and, and kind of gives us more more options. I think it's about us mainly probably looking at more things and, and opening up our um, kind of field in terms of what we think we can use, what, what is art and what is not. Like what can we use in our making process or what, what we can't, you know? Um, so I don't know if that, if that helps, but we could talk about it without yes. that more. I think that's a longer, yeah. Let's take one more question. Uh, Sister Vector. So um, I was thinking about what you said a bit earlier about music and it's like haram, it's like a debate going on. So personally, I think music is not haram because like the reason it was labeled haram like earlier was because it was distracting the people and when it first came out, it was like distracting people and that's why you, it would lead to like gatherings, which would lead to like adultery and stuff. So I was thinking if you don't let it become a distraction, it's not really around because anything could really become a distraction like work, school. So I was like thinking what you personally thought to make it like you could use music, that's why you don't believe it's not around. So like what did you think? That's like what I thought. I know. So I mean I understood um what I thought to be the 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 functioning of, of music in African American culture is 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 you have a wide array of course, but but there are really some some really profound like spiritual um, kind of aspirations in, in in black music, right? And those were the the sides of that that I that I chose to to pursue, as well as just kind of how I even came in Islam is is it's a lot of that has to deal with music. Right, and the music that was being produced at my kind of my my the time that I was an adolescent, right? So, you know, if it did have that kind of effect on on the culture, then you know, there may be some permissive, you know, at times in certain of its formations, there may be a permissible aspect to it, right? So that's just kind of how I've how I how I understand music and how how I've, I've chose to 
to deal with it in my work. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'd just like to just personally add, uh, you know, as an imam, um, I don't think uh, we can make a blanket statement to say music is not haram mm -hmm. uh, because there is certainly a, a lot of differences amongst the uh, scholars of our tradition uh, regarding that. And then neither can we make a blanket statement to say music is haram. And some of these things could be case by case, individual by individual, right? And so, uh, you know, maybe for you, if, uh, if the music leads you to certain things, uh, then you need to make those things haram upon yourself. Um, but even as a blanket statement, there are certain types of music I think that we could go beyond the bounds of, you know, when we are, you know, sexually seductive music, um, you know, things like this. And so one have to consider, uh, you know, how does it impede one's spiritual growth and spiritual development and things mm -hmm. like this? Is it, what is it, what is it ultimately calling you to? Is it calling you to beauty, goodness, and excellence? Or is it calling you to debauchery, uh, you know, evil and those things that push you away from uh, spiritual growth and development? So um, I want to, did you want to add something else? No, no. Okay. So um, I'd like to, you know, for you to just give us a tour and walk us through the pieces if you want to do that. And um, How maybe, much time do we have? Cause I think uh, it's a, yeah, so, so, so let's get something to eat. Okay. And then, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it too. Let's do okay. it like that. Sure, sure. Now, you know, uh, <clears throat> it's very excellent what you said about the difference of opinion of scholars mm -hmm. on uh, music mm -hmm. being haram or not haram. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to uh, be very careful when it comes to uh, 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 music, because I mean, all scholars agree, mm -hmm. this is across the board, that certain instruments that we have, Sahih Hadith from Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that these instruments are haram, mm -hmm. that this type of music is haram. I mean, that's that's been been established. That's part of the deen, you know. And to go against that, you know, is is, is not cool, in my opinion. But uh, what I was taught. Uh, from scholars about the differences of opinion was that these instruments, because the Rasul mentioned wind instrument, a certain wind instrument, and string, certain string instrument. Well, the guitar didn't, uh, as we have it today, didn't exist then, we know. And the mm -hmm. piano didn't exist, but the piano is considered a string instrument. But if you look in history during that time, there's a harp shaped like this that's played by sheriffs. I don't know if you've ever seen those mm -hmm. harps. And there's a wind instrument that uh, has little pipes that they're different length, and you blow across it like that. Mm -hmm. I had a scholar tell me those are the specific instrument that the Rasul was talking about, mm -hmm. not the instruments we have today, because that's the instrument instruments that they had at that time. Mm -hmm. And these particular instruments were played for religious purpose, purposes by either a mythical so-called god creature. There was a, a goat-like creature that played this. I don't know if you've ever seen it in cartoons. He's a goat with goat legs <clears throat> with a human body, and he played this instrument. The scholar that I was uh, learning from about the, the, you know, the actual haram instruments, those are the ones that they was talking about. Mm. And uh, you know, so I took that opinion mm. that, like this brother was saying, that our music jazz, which come out of a, a slave songs about communicating with each other for their liberation, mm -hmm. evolved into all the music, the American music we has, have today. It's the only classical music in America, mm -hmm. jazz, blues, and the spiritual. So, you know, that's, that was my uh, reason for, uh, you know, listening to music. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also safe to say that it doesn't matter any music, jazz or anything. If it causes you to miss a lot and not pray and not do your ibadah, then it's haram anyway. Mm -hmm. Just of the fact that you allow it That's to cause you to forget Allah. <clears throat> yeah, Allah bless you. Um, 
So we're going to go ahead and close out. And uh, again, thank you, Jamal. Jamal, in thank closing, you for a good question, uh, where, can, where can people find you? Uh, if they wanted to find you? Or do you want to stay <laughs> hidden? <laughs> or would you like to stay hidden? <laughs> uh, I, I've, I'm off Instagram right now, so I don't really have a social media presence. Um, I do come up on Google. Um, I'm available by email or cell phone. Yeah. That's all, that's all. Okay. <laughs> Old school. <laughs> Old school. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. Uh, please get something to eat and um, feel free to uh, go on tour with Jamal so he can explain the pieces to you. So everything in here is yeah, a part the, of Yeah, in these two rooms. Yes. Yeah. If anybody has any questions, yeah, I, I'm around. Okay. Assalamualaikum. So